You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to Drinks with Tony on this episode. Um, it's just me. Here we are. Uh, yeah, so what happened was uh, I had a, a, a one of the bigger publishers had a one of their middle authors like set to, you know, talk to me. And they're like, how much time do you need? She's got a lot of interviews. And it's, and it's not like any like big author. It's kind of like a middle author or whatever. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm like, are you, I'm like, am I really going to be sandwiched in on a press junket? Cause like, that's not what I do. Um, you know, I, because what I, I, I used to do press junkets, um, drinks with Tony or like, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, film stuff when I was getting paid by the Chronicle or by, you know, other magazines, but for drinks with Tony, I just want to talk to people like on a normal level. Uh, not in the, not in a way, and it drives some authors nuts. I understand that because they're like, wait, we didn't, we didn't talk about the book. And I'm like, no, we just talked. You just happen to have a book out. And that's kind of the whole show. We, um, I just like to talk to writers and why not go ahead and do it as kind of a promo, um, for the book as well. And we may or may not get on the book, which it's probably a very uh, Generation X thing for me to do because it's very hard to self-promote. It's very, uh, especially when you come from like kind of the DIY thing, which um, it's, I mean, kids just use it. Like kids using the word branding. What's your brand? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> do you understand? You're, you're just, you're cool with being a commodity. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they look at me and they go, yeah, old fella, <laughs> we're sorry for you too. I guess, I don't you know, what are we? We're, you know, what are we now? Are we like the hippies for the millennials and the Gen Zs? It's just like, oh, you, you dirties, you dirty people who listen to grunge. Um, it really, it's, well, I, I am adored by, uh, you know, people who uh, were born like say in the nineties and have a huge adoration for grunge and Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And it's just like, it's like, um, yeah, I, you weren't there, but, um, they were kind of not the most interesting people around at the time. Uh, you know, and, uh, and they exploded and it's kind of like they weren't the ones that were supposed to explode, but someone had to explode and I'm waiting for someone to explode now. I'm what, you know, it would, well, I guess if looking back around 1991, when Nirvana exploded, when all that stuff exploded, it kind of wasn't great. We lost it. Uh, we lost, um, the commute. We lost our small community of going to see bands like that and just being at small clubs. But at the same time, you know, I'm glad they got into the zeitgeist. Uh, they're, they were, they're a good band. I think Dave Grohl made them a good band. Um, for some odd reason, when he, when he came on, that, that was the perfect mix. I don't think the previous drummer, who was, why is this turning into a music show? <laughs> why? Okay. Hold on a second. Regroup. Um, all right. Because, because I was talking about generation gaps, uh, and people branding themselves. 
I'm gonna brand myself. Um, but I mean, when you when it gets down to it, I named this show 20 years ago when I used to tape it in bars, and and then when I was on the radio, I would bring drinks to the show every week and. Usually, the, my first uh, it was a two-hour show, so the first hour was an interview with an author. A lot of times pre-taped because I had I was getting them live in San Francisco while they were coming through. Second hour was a band that was playing that weekend, so they would roll in and it'd just be like, "Darinks," <laughs> and it's and this is all you know what like eleven years ago now is when I stopped it when and went on hiatus. Wait, it's not eleven years, two thousand thirteen. Nine years. Is it? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, yeah, about eight and a half years ago, I did the last drinks with Tony show in studio at Radio Valencia in San Francisco. And then I came to LA and then worked on the film and did a whole lot of other stuff. And then about five years later, I was in deep despair walking around Los Feliz going, uh, is that all there is to a movie release? Is that all there is? And um, I was like, when's the last time I was happy? What made me happy? Instead of trying to figure out what, what I got to get into the zeitgeist of um, film or book. What made me happy? Talking to writers on Drinks with Tony. Let's make it a podcast. All right, cool. And, um, and then now it's also broadcasting in Santa Cruz, if you're listening right now, on a Thursday evening. So thanks for listening. So anyway... Yeah, you just got me. So feel free to <laughs> stay on board or <clears throat> tune out. Why am I doing that? Why? I just got out of therapy. My therapist would be like, my desk is a mess. Sorry about that. My therapist would be like, Tony, why are you self-sabotaging yourself? Why are you talking yourself down before other people can judge you so they can know how they feel about you? And it's, it's so interesting Cause we're always judging, you know, it's, it's funny as I, I was thinking about this the other day, just walking around and I think we're judging for safety, you know, and I, and I, and I see like, I see like, you know, especially when you see like a young woman walking down the street and there's like three guys there, she's got to suss them out, man. <laughs> and you can tell she's sussing them out and they need to be sussed out. Um, because bad things do happen. Um, so not that I'm for, not that I'm for prejudices, but I'm for, but it's for, um, we kind of got to gauge, we got we to read the room, <laughs> the room is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. Maybe you don't know what I'm saying. What am I saying? Oh, so when I, when the publicist was trying to move this into, and I'm, I won't name the author cause the author's pretty cool. So. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm happy that people get books out. I'm club, I'm club, uh, I'm club, I'm club pro writer here. But, um, when they're stacking, when they're stacking interviews together, I, I'm not in, I don't want to be your fourth interview of the day where you're saying, no, and that's why Natalie had to go through that transition of getting out of the abusive relationship. And I'm just like going and you've probably said this 10 times today already. Which is good. Oh dear Lord, if I get that on my next book, um, <laughs> I'll be doing press junkets too. Uh, and uh, yeah, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what. Let's just sell the book first. But um, 
I was going to have a, the, fir the first woman I fell in love with, when, when I knew at the time, um, it, it's, I was going to have her come on. Me and her, uh, I fell in love with her when I was 18, and me and her like reconnected about four years ago. <clears throat> and I, and we were Jehovah's Witnesses, so we were when we were dating. Uh, one of the most magical concerts I went to with her um, was Echo and the Bunnymen, New Order, and Gene Loves Jezebel, and <clears throat> and our first kiss was during the song "Lips Like Sugar" by Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, and it's and it was kind of glorious, but. We were, you know, it's the first person I loved, and we were both in a um, screwed up religion that doesn't really promote love unless it's uh, sanctioned. No, not sanctioned. That makes it sound weird, but it doesn't. It's, I guess, what happened was I was like still in the belief system, and she was leaving the belief system, so there was a, a conflict of interest of sorts. But but she was my first love. And it gutted me that we didn't uh, kick it together. But then we ended up meeting again later in life and um, consummated what could have happened <laughs> when we were 18. Um, that, was, that was cool. But I, she didn't want to come on the show. She didn't want to talk about that because, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, again, it's, you know, lovely people don't want to out anyone, but. Um, and I'll, I'll just like the, the online dating thing. Okay, well, the smash cut online dating, and people presenting themselves as something they're not. And then the presentation of, I mean, the presentation of something you're not is kind of huge in Hollywood. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a thing. Um, you know, people, there's, it's part of Hollywood. And it's part of L.A., but it's also not all of L.A. Uh, and I think L.A., I think Los Angeles in general gets a very bad rap because of a certain segment of the culture that walks around with their brand and resume on their face. <laughs> it's just like, um, but there's, there's something that I, I don't know if it's in other cities, but online dating, there's something that seems to be okay. Like really okay. I know why. And I'll tell you in a second, <clears throat> really okay to lie about your age. So you can say, you know, say, uh, you know, and as I've online dating, you see someone and they're like, it says <clears throat> 42 and they're 42 years old in their thing. And you're like, oh, cool. And they're like, I'm looking for an honest man, someone who's down to earth. I'm looking for authenticity. By the way, my real age is 49. And I'm just like, you're really that stupid. You are that stupid to ask for honesty, authenticity, and then, but present yourself, your initial presentation when the photo and the age and the name come up is a lie. And then I'm just like, who are you trying to get? And I, in the end, you're, you're going to end up getting either other liars or a relationship that's um, really unhealthy. <laughs> it's like, um, so the, um, so the reason why this person didn't want to do it was because it would expose her age because of my age. <laughs> just, 
And that's really frustrating, um, I guess, because it's just, uh, there's no need for it. Um, and I just, I guess we're in a culture, we're in a youth culture, and there's, there's no need for it. There's no need for it because there's beauty at every age. Um, and... You know, I mean, I have a bottom cut off. I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm robbing the cradle if it's anyone under 40. If And 40's kind of pushing it for me. So probably not even. Anyway, back 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 when, uh, you know, I was uh, eagerly doing that before I was losing my mind doing that crap. But um, but it's also a Los Angeles thing. And this is what and this is another thing that drives me nuts because the um, like IMDb. I think it was SAG that went after, and and none of this is, uh, what you, as you can tell, none of this is pre-planned or fact-checked. So just play along, kids. Um, but SAG, Screen Actors Guild Union, came in and on Internet Movie Database and said, you can't put the age of the actors because these actors don't have to have their ages out there because ageism is really bad. So... You know, if you put that Nicole Kidman's 55 or whatever on IMDb, she might not get a part because, you know, and it's like, and then so they, they kind of go ahead and translate that across the board. And people are just, people, people, I know people, and, and it's not just ladies. I know lots of dudes that will, that are actively high in the, in the business, in the, in the goofy part of the business. I'm not friends with these people. Because they're not being authentic, but they authentic, but they will actively hide their age and try to present themselves as ten years younger. And I think, I think, I think you just feel that you feel it's it, you feel something's off. And I was talking about this with my friend yesterday because uh, he was asking me about my. <laughs> okay, now we're gonna. <laughs> he was asking. He was asking me about my divorce, and he didn't even know I was married to a Jehovah's Witness. Because when we got together, um, we were both Jehovah's Witnesses. So, um, uh, what what was my point? So I was explaining to him. Okay, and this is when we don't edit. So, <clears throat> talking about inauthenticity. I would listen to her lie to her friends all the time, little white lies, and there were the little white lies to me constantly, and. Um, this was, you know, this is back when I'm younger in my twenties and thirties and, you know, uh, a lot of lies were about money, about how much she was like spending and she would give me a specific amount. And then all of a sudden it was something different. And then she'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, uh, I just forgot. But then it was just such a repeated thing. And then I, I remember one day driving and she was talking to one of her friends and she's just like, no, I have to work tomorrow. So I can't do lunch. I have to work tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. And, I, and then she hung up and I was like, why'd you tell her I have to work tomorrow? Cause you're not working. She's like, oh, I didn't want to go to lunch with her. And I'm like, she's your friend. You can just tell her you don't want to go to lunch with her. No, I can't. And I'm like, okay, well what you're doing by pretending you're going to work tomorrow and telling her a lie is you're putting something there in the air that is going to confuse her. It's, it's, it's bad energy. Um, and you know, they may not catch you in the lie. They may not know the lie, but it's some, it, it's, it's a trick in the energy field of, I guess, the human collective. 
and it's when and it's when we get that gut feeling. <clears throat> when you meet someone, you have a gut feeling. You go, huh? And 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 it's you don't you, don't, you all you got to do is inter- is meet them and say hi, and you just go, oh, and you know dig into a little more, and you'll you may find out that maybe they're just telling a lot of little white lies, and uh, but that but that shatters <clears throat> shatters um, people themselves who are doing it. But yeah, it was, but and then the big lie was like, oh my God, she was cheating on me for years. Um, but, but I was, you know, a bad marriage takes two. So uh, it wasn't like, um, you know, I didn't know how to be a good husband at the time. So doesn't mean I'm against marriage or all that stuff. Maybe I'll be a good husband later down the road. Always working on it. Um, so... And kind of always working on our, I guess we're always working on our story. And then this is where I'm going to get goofy. Because um, as I'm writing and as I'm teaching, it's, it, it's, and even doing this show, all it's, um, I'm talking to people who are shifting mythology and who are shifting the story, the story of humanity, just a little bit, just a little nudge. Um, and then you get people in there that are very influential, like a Jack Kerouac who writes on the road and he shifts, he shifts in a large way or go back to Nirvana. They shifted something in a very big way. Um, was it good or bad? I don't know. Like when you think about Kerouac, I don't, you, I don't, if I remember right, he was not happy about being the, um, the, what do you call it? The guru of the beat generation. He, I, I don't think he liked that. And a lot of these writers that were now all of a sudden, well, who's the next Kerouac? We've got to get some Kerouacs. How's your writing? You like, oh, you sound like a Kerouac. Well, yeah, I jumped on a freight train once. Well, okay. Can you Kerouac it up a little more? And um, same thing happened with, you know, Nirvana. Well, let's, let's shift it up a bit, you know. And then, then, uh, <laughs> then the, I, don't, I don't remember what record it was. And then all of a sudden, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are kind of like, well, let's put a little more rock in this thing. Let's go. Okay, you know, we're cool too, right, right, right? Um <laughs> who was there's a guy there oh my god i'm trying to remember there was some bands that were really like they weren't really like grunge but you could tell that they were just like trying to steer into it so bad just for marketing purposes and um and we don't hear from them now and then, and that's another thing being inauthentic inauthentic um in your work um that i you know that uh and i in, and i have to and i admit i've been inauthentic in some of the writing that I've done. And I'm not talking about the ghostwriting or things like that. Those are just like jobs for hire, but inauthentic in my personal writing of uh, books and screenplays that I feel like I need to get out there. And I think that's why I got really um, just kind of really turned around and depressed when Jesus jerk came out. Cause, cause I was grabbing for something I was grabbing, I was trying to grab for, great, now everyone knows who I am, now I'm going to go sell this screenplay, because this screenplay is in the market, and then um, on that screenplay I can get a down payment on a house, and on that I can get, you know, uh, I, I had these delusions in my mind, and what really happened was, you know, like when you when you have a character and your character wants something, but your character, but in the end, the character actually needs something. So the want isn't isn't the same as the need. So I wanted something, but it wasn't what I needed. 
even though even though I do and even though I'd still like to buy a house and um you know I'm trying to set it set it up that way but doing it in a way where I was trying to tell stories that producers would like that um that us you know studios may possibly go oh yeah you're the funky quirky guy who knows how to do blank 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 and bring me in was not the way I ne- that was not where I needed to go and where I needed to go was essentially finding ground and w- exactly what I'm doing now which is writing <laughs> writing this writing this book that um it's uh it's just it it's me it's back to me um and my voice and that's not a huge seller <laughs> If you look, at, if you look at the sales on Jesus Jerk, and you know, and and I'm sure when I'm trying to, when I'm submitting, it'll be like, oh wow, um, well, you know, like my old, what did my my uh, old agent used to tell me, and she's such a sweetheart, um, and she became a big agent, and I did so many things wrong as a first time writer, oh, monumentally wrong, um, that I've apologized to her about, um. <laughs> Even kind of recently, I'm just like, I'm sorry, you were right. <laughs> the arrogance of the first book, um, yeah, yeah. Talk about talk about not let's talk about branding, and then and you know, I'm like dirting on kids who are like branding themselves, but then I come out with a book, and I got this like kind of like, I'm a writer. This is it. You know what are you what are you even looking at? Don't look. Don't you look at me in the eyes. You look at me in the eyes. Who's your publisher? Who's your agent? You turn around and walk away right now. It's it's just uh, again. <laughs> I needed I, I on my trajectory trajectory as on the hero's journey. I got what I wanted, but I needed to learn what I needed. And what I needed was a lot of humiliation and a lot, a lot of judgment. I needed people to judge me. Um, I remember this one time. Oh, what was his name? Michael Krasny. He did a show in San Francisco. What was his show called? Was it called Forum? And I, I love, I love him. I think it's Michael Krasny. Um, and I was at, I was, I was at a reading and. Uh, someone came up to me and we were talking and she's like, and she found out that I, you know, this is like 10 years ago or so. And she's like, Oh, she's like, yeah, you're the author of uh, confessions of a teenage Jesus jerk. We want to get you on forum. And, um, and she's like, I'm, 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 I'm the producer of forum. We're, we're trying to get you on. And I don't remember what I said, but I remember I, I was probably trying to be funny, but sometimes when I try to be funny, I'm just, it kind of sounds like an ass and, um, and I don't, you know, and I think I may have, I, I was being an ass. I was trying to be funny, but I was being an ass. And I think there was something where, but I said something and her eyes just got white and she turned around and walked away. So I killed my shot at being on Michael Krasny's show, which was a dream of mine. Um, and it's what I wanted. Was it what I needed? No, I needed a swift kick in the ass to not be (laughs) dick <laughs> it's just like um so yeah one of these days i gotta write the article of uh everything i did wrong so you don't have to um but you know sometimes we sometimes we have to go through sometimes we got to do it dumb uh at least we're doing it and that's the thing and that's what i've learned just do it you know henry rollins band is 
I think one of their first records. Uh, he had a song called "Do It," and, and it's but it's a real it's an anthem for me sometimes where I'm just like, it's like just do something. So if you're not doing anything, okay, just do something. Write poetry. Go, uh, you know, do something. Go for a hike. Um, do even and then even though it feels like nothing, it becomes something. Uh, I did the that's and I'll go back to a little bit of my journey. By the way, I'm not planning any of this, so this is just random thoughts. Uh, it, it's just but going back to my journey when um when I when I realized I was a writer um and I was just like oh my god I have to do this and it was when I read Newt Hampstoon's book Hunger. And I was, just, and it's kind of like when I was like, I got to go all in. So in 1999, um, which I was probably about 29 at the time, 29 going on 30, I started a website called Cherry Bleeds. And it was called Cherry Bleeds Literary Magazine. And that, and I got to tell you, this is 1999 and this is the whole reason. Oh, no, wait. I started Film Junkie in 1999. I started Cherry Bleeds in 2000. Okay, back up a little bit. I was working in tech and I started a website called Film Junkie. And the idea of it was to review movies. And I was trying to get into the movie game. And then, <clears throat> and then I started to realize, wait a second, it's not about reviewing movies. It's about going to film festivals and San Francisco International Film Festival. And like being excited about seeing movies that weren't coming out in the United States. Also at the time, I was still kind of around the Jehovah's Witnesses. So... Um, you can't see R-rated movies as a Jehovah's Witness. My workaround was go see the movies at film festivals because they're not rated yet. And uh, the absurdity of the MPAA and what you can get busted for in the Jehovah's Witnesses is just hilarious because the MPAA was, you know, not as corrupt as the Jehovah's Witnesses, but there you could, <clears throat> they could have a lot of sex together and go, ooh, that feels really good. Yeah, why does it feel good to you too? I don't know. We have the same energy, you know, it's just there. Um, so, so yeah, sorry with film junkie and I got, and I got to interview some, I got, I got to interview Mort's Blibe story. I think that was one of my first interviews and it's a guy from run the low run and he was pimping another movie and we went and had drinks after and it just, uh, and that was for, um, film junkie. That was just, that was just based on buying the domain filmjunkie.com, essentially doing that. And then going, now that I have that, what do I do? And then I hate, and then I was just like, I was reviewing blockbuster films. And then it's just like, no, wait, that's kind of not the thing. What's the thing? Oh, the thing is like, I like indie films. Okay. That's the thing. And then I started cherry bleeds because I realized, cause I just like, I, I need a writing deadline and no, and I know, and no one's off <laughs> when you, when you're like, I got to write, people don't come up to you and go, Oh, great. We're looking forward to your writing. That's it, No. You have, it's like this self-discipline thing. So Cherry Bleeds started as me and a friend of mine having to put a short story out every week. It was just like weekly issue. Number one, I uh, need something by Wednesday. Number two, need something by Wednesday. Number three, need something by Wednesday. But doing that, and, and fortunately, I got to tell you, fortunately, you know, this is what started in 2000. So fortunately, um, I had the domain, so I didn't have to keep all those stories up, all those awful stories. Uh, you know, there was, the, let's say one in 10 were readable <laughs> at the time, <clears throat> but it was part of the process. I had to get it out there. 
I thought I was just like, oh, I'm, put, I'm putting this stuff out there. And um, I started to get submissions and started to get a lot of submissions. And people were trying to get on Cherry Bleeds. And I had uh, and then I had like four regular writers. And um, and so what happened was in uh, I think it was 2001. No, wait. Yeah. In 2001 <clears throat> or no, around the same time. I was like, OK, what else can I do with this? And then I found out, wait a second, I think I can review books. Or no, I did the Cherry Bleeds Book of the Month Club. And I was like, if I do that, I should just tell publishers that I'm doing that. And then maybe they'll send me free books. So I started doing a Book of the Month Club. <clears throat> and then that was my clips to send a publicist at the publishers and go, oh, I do Cherry Bleeds Book of the Month Club. And then all of a sudden... And I was just like hoping to get free books. I had no idea what an advanced review copy was. So I was getting books in a, in a like three to six months before they came out and getting to read them. And that excited me to no end. I had no clue that world was out there. <clears throat> I remember getting Chuck Palahniuk's uh, Lullaby and I had the advanced review copy and I'm sitting at the cafe and I'm just like, I was like holding it up. This is when I lived in Temescal area in Oakland. Um, I think it was called Temescal Cafe right by 51st and uh, tele telegraph. And um, I, and I, I held it, I would hold it up just thinking people are going to know they're going to look at that and go, Oh my God, you got the new Chuck Paul in that book. How did you do that? And no one looked <laughs> another lesson. No one cares. Um, so I got an email from Chuck's uh, publicist and she said, Chuck's going to be in Berkeley. Do you want to interview him? And I said, yes. She said, great. What are you interviewing him for? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I called it the Cherry Bleed Literary Web Stream uh, because I don't think, I don't even think podcast was a term yet, but I knew how to technology. I knew how to do the technology to get it up on a website and have the sound so people can get directly to the website and get the sound of the, uh, and get the audio file. So I said, it's the Cherry Bleeds Literary Web Stream. And she's like, great, uh, he'll meet you. I, I met him at a bar called Jupiter. It was kind of a bar lunch place. And we had lunch together and I taped it. And then it was on the Cherry Bleeds Literary Web Stream. And then, which I was just like, this doesn't get any better than this. You know, when, when he was looking for his, after we were done, he was looking for uh, his escort, which is kind of the local publicist who takes you around. And, um, so we were walking around Berkeley and we were walking through the Berkeley library, you know, the, uh, the, the, I think it's the main branch. And we were just, he's like, I th she's in here somewhere, you know, we, it's cell phones were still a little early then. Right. And he didn't have one on him. And so we're, we're like walking up and down the, uh, I'm walking with Chuck Polinick up and down the aisles of the Berkeley li public library, where if, I knew Chuck Polinick was at the library or any one other of my, you know, big time famous writer crushes. I'd just be like, oh, my God, Chuck Polinick's in the um, Chuck Polinick's in the geography session. I'm going to the geography se section. Um, and no one noticed us. No one noticed it was Chuck Polinick. I'm like, we're walking through the Berkeley library. This is Chuck Polinick right here, you guys. And I'm walking with him. And I'm like hoping like people see me and go, oh, wait, how does that guy get to rate to walk with Chuck Polnick? No one cares. <laughs> Another lesson. But then what happened was maybe we'll call this the 20th anniversary special. 
yeah, we're totally doing that. This is the 20th anniversary special. Because you know what I like to do when I, when there's big monumental dates? I like to make them as not as significant as possible. Um, it, it's like when I turned 50, I was just like, uh, I had dinner with seven friends. And it was on the day. I mean, I had two different parties that were huge, hugely, not, not to brag, but yeah, they were pretty big. But on the day of my 50th birthday, I just wanted to be surrounded just by a few people and have normal and they just have small conversation and hang out. Um, so yeah, here's the 20th anniversary show of drinks with Tony. Um, and then a little, and then a little, about six months later, I was trying to ping for more, uh, people on the cherry bleeds literary stream. And that was, I was riding my bicycle to go interview this guy, Mark Haskell Smith, who I'm friends with now, but he, this was his first book called moist. I was bicycling through the Alameda tunnel. Cause I lived in Alameda at the time and I was meeting him in Oakland and all I had was a bicycle. So I was bicycling through the tunnel and in the tunnel, um, I went, Oh my God, the show is called Drinks with Tony. And here we are. <laughs> origin story. I guess they call it origin story. But why why am I here now? Because I did something. Like all I did was buy the domain filmjunkie.com. And then I went, oh wait, I need to okay, the film stuff is fun, but I'm a writer and I need to write. So let me come up with a name of something. And I'm a huge fan of Nick Cave. And there's a song called Hard On For Love. And um, what are the lyrics? It goes, uh, it is for she that the cherry bleeds and the moon is steeped in milk and blood. And so the so the website was, I was either going to buy milkandblood.com or cherrybleeds.com. And I ended up buying cherrybleeds.com. Um, and when I say buying, I mean just registering the domain. At the time, though, I think back then, registering domain names cost like 80 bucks or something like that. So, uh, but that was just doing something and, and just doing something that was very amateur um, led to like a lot of cool stuff. Led to me writing for the San Francisco Chronicle, hundreds of articles for the San Francisco Chronicle. Like kind of, I wrote too many articles for them because I should have been, after probably about 20, I should have like, I've been working more on my own stuff than um, writing six articles a month. Um, and there we go. Sorry, the recording uh, did a little something that I had to do in real time. So I guess, uh, I guess what, what are we coming around to in this? Um, I should be taking notes of what I've talked about because I'm just veering all around, but I guess what I'm talking about is authenticity. Be your authentic self, and I, I'm still learning that. I'm still learning. I'm still learning that as a writer, and I'm and I've and I feel like what I'm working on now is like truly authentic, and and it's not. And this is the uh, the question when uh, people go, "Oh, what are you working on now?" And I just tell them a little snippet of it, and I'm like, and they're like, "Oh, is it set in the Jehovah's Witnesses?" And I'm like, "God, no." <laughs> I do have another. Um, screenplay I got to rewrite that's set in the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a different take, but God know this book I'm working on now has nothing to do with it. And, um, that delights me to no end because, um, even though that is part of my, um, part of my life journey was being a totally believing Jehovah's Witness and into my twenties, um, and kind of you know, the kind of 
having some critical thought for about seven or eight years where I finally went, oh, there's something wrong. And then your belief system's just, you know, shattered and your social network of people that you trusted since you were, uh, since you can speak, were just cut. And it's, uh, it's pretty rough. Anyway, I was, and so there's that. What was the, um, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I called a friend of mine. I was trying, I was like, Hey, let's talk about this. And she's just like, we can never talk about that. And she gave me the reasons why. And I went, gotcha. So, um, I guess, okay. So we're on the, let's just, uh, I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, interviews, interviewing people on drinks with Tony. What's, I think what people, it's funny, people don't understand I'm getting pitched all the time. So the amount of people, I'm getting pitched from like all the publishers. Uh, and it's because I had a relationship with them back in 2000. So for 22 years, they know what a Drinks with Tony is. Do they know what a Tony Duchesne is? Probably not. They might, but they know what a Drinks with Tony is because they used to work with that sh show. So everything that I get in the mail... The books, it's, it all says, Tony Duchesne drinks with Tony. Um, and and that's the reason why I kept the name, because I, wa I wanted to kind of just dive back in. And here we are, in, what is it, episode 181? And it's the, it's the first one I didn't have a guest for the week. And I was kind of like, hey, you know what, just talk. And I, I'm wanting to do another podcast, too, that has a little more of a... Um, Joe Frank vibe. So maybe this is me just practicing my, my Joe Frank vibe, even though it's not as sexy, but, uh, that one will have segments. So I'm kind of putting together the different segments. Um, but it's interesting because everyone assumes that I'm friends with my, with a lot of the people that I have on the show. Um, there I'm friendly with some of them. I do get, I will get my friends on the show when, uh, when they have a book out, whenever Mark Haskell Smith has a book out, I'm like, and when are you doing drinks with Tony? It's just like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lo-fi David Letterman and he's my Bill Murray. Um, so Mark always, I always want Mark on the show. I always want Mark in my, in my realm. Guys, well, he's a great guy. Um, my friend Liska Jacobs, she has a book coming out and I just got her review copy and we're set to tape on the release date. So, uh, so that's when friends come on, but for the most part, I'm pitched by publishers and I have to turn down maybe let's just, I probably turn down 70 to 80% of the people I'm pitched from publishers. So these are people who are with, you know, random house and with counterpoint and with other things. And I need, and it's, and this is where I talk to people who go, hey, should I self-publish? And I'm like, here's my answer for you. I'm like kind of a small podcast and I can't even look at self-published authors because I'm turning down 70 to 80% of the authors that are pitched to me. And it's not, I'm not turning them down because I don't like them. I'm turning them down because I do this once a week. And right now I am booked out. It's today is uh, this, this will air on March 2nd. I'm airing this a few hours before it airs. Uh, I'm taping this a few hours before it airs. Um, I am booked out. My next open slot is like September 28th. That's how far I'm booked out right now. Um, and that's, and that's me trying not to book. That's me going, 
no, I'm not booking anything in summer. And then like, there's like five publicists out there that are absolutely great that kind of, they know my jam. So they only pitch me people that I love. They don't just pitch me their whole roster. And and I go, and when they pitch me, I go, oh my God, hi, yes. I always just say yes, because they always have a great person. They line it up and they don't give me everyone on their roster. They give me the person that they know that will uh, play along with, with the show, which is just to have a conversation, which cracks me up because some people, um, well, it's been said, they're like, you don't prepare for your show uh, because I don't come with... Um, questions specific questions about the book and the characters and i'm like yeah because you do that all over the one you do that everywhere else so you do that on all the other interviews and two i just want an authentic conversation of the hour that we're together so right now it's 4:48 on tuesday march 1st and all i'm doing is talking into a microphone and i have no agenda and some people call that being ill-prepared I actually call it, you know, and kind of like winging it. I call it being uh, like way more prepared than people who prepare questions because I've been interviewing for 20 years and I've done, yeah, I did college radio, you know, in the nineties. So I'm just sitting here at my desk right now with a microphone and uh, just talking. And, um, you know, if, if I, if I felt that this wasn't, you know, and I didn't put an, an outline or anything together, I did write a couple notes. Um, but if this, it, it just, that doesn't feel authentic to me. I want to just, I want to match up the current energy of this moment. And this is my current moment. My current moment is, am I happy? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just had therapy, uh, <laughs> like I had therapy. And then I went right into this. Cause I'm like, I got to tape this. So I, so we get it on. Um, but a uh, little irritable, I guess. Uh, and some of that has to do with, um, you know, you know well, uh, so for <laughs> I teach screenwriting classes and um, and I've been teaching novel and screenwriting classes for gee, about eight years, nine years. And the usual jam uh, was there would be one crappy student in a year. Just a just an awful, awful person coming into the class that wants attention. I had one person that was trying to make a legal claim that she was being plagiarized by another person in class. And it went like totally up the legal ladder. And um, she was an awful, awful person. And then um, and they like were trying to get me fired because I wouldn't out the other person that was so-called plagiarizing her but little did she know i had all everyone's writing before anyone saw each other's writing and they were both writing about bloggers that's essentially it so there's so this person makes a stink and i got 14 other students who are uh, eager and earnest to learn and the one person a year makes a stink and then i'm dealing with administrative stuff and i'm dealing with just utter stupidity essentially dealing with a spoiled narcissistic brat I would have one a year uh, for the past two years. I have about two or three a quarter now. Brat is in the air. So um, 
And it kind of blows my mind. I'm like, and I, I have to, you know, it's just like, it's the person that's just like, no, I ordered my steak rare and it's just well done. And then I'm like running back and forth to the table as a waiter. And all everyone else is going, wait, where's my food? This steak is now medium rare. Can you like just talk to the chef and maybe, maybe he could put some garlic cloves in it. And, you know, it's uh. So sometimes teaching feels like being a waiter right now, and it really sucks. Something happened in our zeitgeist where people feel like they can be spoiled brats and it's not fun. So, so yeah, so, you know, it's just here we are in another quarter and I'm dealing with administrative issues when all I want to do is deal with my students who are doing, who are putting in the work. Wah, 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 wah. Where's my violin for Tony? Um, I don't know why that is. I, um, it, you know, could be pandemic related. It could be, could be people acting out because it is, well, a lot, I guess almost everything is based, almost everything in that arena is based on fear. So when people can't acknowledge their fear or, or like look inside at their fear and go, oh crap, I'm scared of this. They lash out. And it happens a lot with uh, people who are taking writing classes who um, who want to. And the, you know, I'm not the kind of instructor that just has a PowerPoint presentation and goes, this is the structure of how to write a story. Once upon a time, I see you will have a character. I mean, I'll go into story devices, but I really want to talk and gather and put together what it is to be creative and what it is to be creative is kind of like a magic trick to the universe because why, 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 why does anyone think they have a book in them? Why did I think I had a book in me? It's the dumbest idea in the world to sit in a room, you know, five hours a day and write a book that probably not going to be read. Um, and then it gets read and you're just like, Oh my God. And then all of a sudden it's in shops and people are purchasing your book and people you don't know are going, I really like your story. And it's just like, it's, it's a, it's a beast and it's kind of an invisible beast at all steps of the way. So I think people coming into it and going, I've taken my real estate license class and why don't I just go become a writer because writing's easy. Those are the people that when they get into a, a workshop situation, fear, fear comes in and then they act like spoiled brats. So maybe since we're in the pandemic, we have a lot more people, we have a lot more fear. We have a lot more fear going around and people are acting out because of the fear. Um, and then it's rough. I mean, I had fear during the pandemic. I had COVID in January, <laughs> it, it was pretty rough. I probably should have gone to the hospital, but I was so just like zonked. Um, there was a point when I was just like kind of hallucinating and feverish. And I, there was a point I knew I was going to die. And I said to myself, well, I, you know, I've kind of, I've done, a, I've done a lot in my life. It's I'm all right with this. And then the next morning I was like, how the hell could I think that? Oh my God, I must've been so sick. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die ever. I got way more stories to tell. I got way more podcasts and uh, authors to interview. Um, but yeah, 
Um, are we coming to the end? I don't know. I guess, I guess what I think about a lot, and this is because I'm teaching it a lot, is about storytelling and also, and also the stories of our lives and how we're the hero, how we are the heroes of our lives. And as we go through our life, we're in our point of view and point of view is something that comes up a lot in uh, you know, novel as well as screenwriting. Um, and what's so interesting about us is just human beings is we have our one camera. We're a one camera show. We got one mic. Well, we got two ears. We're mic'd up, you know, unless you're blind or deaf. And, and then if, if that's the case, you, you're, you're finding other ways to, um, with your point of view by touch or such and, um, and continuing to like, just dive into what the creative process is of storytelling kind of just continues for me to dive into what am I telling myself about life? You know, what, and it's the question that always comes up. Um, what, what it's like, what is life and why am I writing this? What I'm writing right now is something it's, is a, 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 I'll just give it a little snippet. It's a, um, it's based, it's, it's set in a place where it kind of like what happens when we die. It's and it's just, it's a comedy of sorts. Uh, but as I'm writing it, I, you know, I thought, I thought of it as a funny idea. And then I started to realize, no, I, I want to explore what's on the other side of life. Cause I think about that a lot. Um, we talk about it with, I've had many talks with other writers on drinks with Tony where it's just like, what do you believe after this? You know, and for about, for over half my life, I believed that, uh, if I survived Armageddon, if Jehovah forgave me for my, for my terrible, terrible thoughts of, you know, that the testosterone hormones just burst into us men and um the uh you know if i got through armageddon i was going to live forever on a paradise earth that was that was it i was either going to die at armageddon or i was going to live forever in paradise um and then that then that was like gone that's no that's not it it's not it wait it might still be it who knows <laughs> um is it reincarnation you know people think about past lives is that it who really knows it heaven hell um i mean for me i guess i guess i wanted to explore this and explore it in a little absurd way but i want to explore it in a way because i think as humans we don't have the capacity to know i'm talking to you in english right now um i you know it's just using language is limiting in um in our thoughts and in how we express ourselves uh, if, if there's another energy out there, if, you know, I mean, we're living, a, we're living in energy. We're living in, we want trees talk to each other, you know, trees at their roots, like talk to each other. Um, and I, I'm, I need to watch this. Uh, my friend, uh, keeps telling me, watch this uh, documentary on mushrooms. Mushrooms talk to each other under the earth. And it's like, that stuff's happening. Um, how in the hell do we even have an inkling of what happens when we're done? We're done with this body. Um, and, uh, and speaking of, you know, to the, when I get to the point where I'm done with this body, I want to lose some weight and make it 
make it uh, look okay. So when I'm done with, you know, it's almost like <laughs> it just this guy trashed this body, you know, where they where they can just, you know, whoever gets the body when <laughs> when I'm dead and my I'm brain dead, and they can just go. I want them to go. Ah, this guy didn't do too bad. I or now actually, I don't want them to do anything. Just like walking in the library with Chuck Palahniuk, I just I don't want to be noticed. And if I'm noticed, it's a problem. And because if I'm noticed, I'll be like, this guy took really bad care of himself. <laughs> so the whole the whole goal of this is to not be noticed when I go brain dead. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. Um, I don't have anything up right now so i don't even know who's on the show next week but yeah uh thanks for listening if you made it all the way through and i'll i'll see you next week on the show uh keep reading and uh and if you if you find it writing is uh is good for you keep writing write every day if you um my the uh, my uh the guy at the cafe around the corner he goes he's just like he, he knows i'm a writer and he's like oh he's like yeah i want to write i want to write when i retire and i was i just was like no that's not how you write you don't write when you retire you know what because when people retire they don't start writing you have to start writing now and write every day because by the time you're in your 60s or 70s you're not going to all of a sudden go i'm going to write a book because it takes years to learn how to write a book so what is your message for this show? Okay, after I already said goodbye. I'll say goodbye again, I promise. The message is just do it. Even if it's stupid, just do it. Even if it seems stupid, just do it. Like even doing this even doing this show where it was just me talking could be a very bad idea. At the same time, bad ideas lead to something. Thanks for listening to the show. Oh man, it's a lot of brothers out there flaking and perpetrating, but scared to kick reality. Man, you've been doing all this dope producing, you ain't had a chance to show them what time it is. So what you want me to do? I'm expressing with my full capabilities, and now I'm living in correctional facilities. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary. But my technique is very necessary. Blame it on Ice Cube, because he said it gets funky when you got a subject and a predicate. Add it on a dope beat, and it'll make you think. Some suckers just tickle me pink to my stomach, cause they don't flow like this one. You know what? I won't hesitate to this one or two before I'm through, so don't try to sing this. Some drop science, well, I'm dropping English, even if yella makes it a cappella. I still express, yo, I don't smoke weed or sex, cause it's known to give a brother brain damage. And brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing but making a sucker and you equal. Don't be another sequel.
say rhymes which fail to be original Or they kill where the hip-hop starts Forget about the ghetto and rap for the pop charts Some musicians cuss at home But scared to use profanity when up on the microphone Yeah, they want reality, but you will hear none They'd rather exaggerate a little fiction Some say no to drugs and take a stand But after the show, they go looking for the dope man Or they ban my group from the radio here in WA and say hell no But you know it ain't all about wealth As long as you make a note to FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.